Well, the world's going to end. That's, how, that's my opening. The world is going to end, and the world as we know it will end eventually. Uh, science, however, whatever stock you put in kind of what their predictions are, say that there's all sorts of different options of how the world might end. It might be solar flares. It might be nuclear di- disaster. It might be um, natural disasters. Apparently, there's, I think, six just in the United States, super volcanoes or something like that that could erupt at any point. Uh, I have family that uh, used to live in California and moved from there to Portland to get away from the big one of an earthquake that's supposed to happen. But apparently now they're saying there's a big one that's supposed to happen in the Northwest as well. So you can't escape it. It's going to happen. So there's all sorts of ways, right, of how the world might end. And I don't know, I really like kind of those... um, What's the genre I'm forgetting? But kind of those apocalyptic, uh, dystopian movies, things like Hunger Games, or there's a one that just came out on Apple TV called Finch with Tom Hanks. Uh, there's all the Dune just came out recently, for those of you that are kind of sci-fi nerds. All of these different movies that show the end of the world, kind of dystopian future, what bad stuff is going to happen. And we, for those of you that do, we like those things because... In some ways, it's kind of a, a pressure valve release that's like, we know there's kind of the end of the world. We know there's doom and gloom, and kind of watching it a little bit helps us to just go, oh, okay, I can just watch it on screen, put it in that box, and press, you know, stop, and go about my life, and eat donuts, or whatever it is that you want to do instead of thinking about the end of the world. But there is an end that's coming, and as we look around the world, there's all sorts of things that maybe kind of trigger those kinds of things in your mind. It might be natural disasters. There's tsunamis and there's earthquakes and there's tornadoes and all sorts of crazy stuff that happen in our world. It might be uh, killings and shootings and things that you just see and the news is filled constantly with things we see and are just like, man, this is bad. It might be things like persecution, even of Christians, where I was reading recently in in Haiti, 17 missionaries kidnapped and held and all sorts of things like that that happen around the world all the time, or societal change and moral change where we see kind of degradation and, man, this is not how it used to be. Things like wars and weapons and I don't know, pandemics and all sorts of things that we see in our city and in our uh, country and in the world that we look at and go, okay, maybe there is an end. Maybe things aren't great. That's it. That's the end of the sermon. (laughs) Just going to leave you with that and you can figure it out and, you know, make the world a better place. I don't know, that kind of stuff. Uh, Miss America, you know, quotes and things and just world peace. The, the question really is just how do we endure in chaos? How do we endure in chaos? Whether that's in your own life that you just kind of look at and say, stuff is chaotic in my life, or if it's just the world as a whole, how do we endure in chaos? And when I say endure, I don't mean just kind of grin and bear it, get through, white knuckle. I mean, how do we, in the middle of chaos, again, in your life or in the world, how do we have joy and peace, and confidence, and stability. That, that's endurance, because endurance doesn't just mean you make it through, but it means you make it through in a good emotional, moral, spiritual state that you're able to get through chaos. How do we do that? With whatever is coming eventually, what's here now, 
and just in, as a principle in life. Where, maybe let's start with this. Where, where do you feel chaos? It might be as you look at the world around you. It might be just things going on, decisions and emotional trauma and family drama and kid drama and work drama and all sorts of drama, drama, and things that you're just like, man, this is chaotic. This is crazy. It might be just, like I said, as you look at the news and the world and feel it and feel some of those effects, how do we endure? The passage that we're going to look at today is, in some ways, probably one of the most confusing in the whole Bible. As I was studying this week, commentators on this passage say, this is really confusing not sure exactly what this means, not sure exactly what this looks like. It's a confusing passage. It's a difficult passage. Probably nothing in this passage is your favorite verse or one that you've memorized or one that you're like, oh man, this is so good. It's, it's something that we don't normally think about, something we don't normally look at, and yet it helps us, it helps us in the middle of chaos. It helps us discover really what the pathway through chaos is, what the power is when we are in chaos, and to begin with, what the pattern of chaos is. So maybe today this is going to stretch us a little bit. Maybe today, again, it's not just something we normally think about, and yet God's Word wants to bring it into our life to help us, to equip us, and to help us think about living chaotically. Not living chaotically, but living in chaos. Here's the, here's the setup Here's the beginning. Here's what precipitates the whole thing. The disciples bring to Jesus a question after he talks about the temple crumbling. Here's what happens. Luke 21. As some were talking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, and I'll just stop there for a second. The temple was one of the wonders of the ancient Roman world. It was massive. It was covered in gold. It was huge. It was beautiful. It towered over the city. I've shown you kind of rendition pictures of it before, and it was over the whole city, but it was this massive complex. It was amazing. Stones that were huge, and, and so they were looking at it, talking about how amazing it was, and Jesus at times being the Debbie Downer that he was, says, these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. Okay, that's nice, Jesus. Teacher, they asked him, so when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? So Jesus talks about the end of the temple. But for them, because of what the temple was, which was the center of the worship of God, talking about the end of the temple triggers in their minds not just the end of the temple, but also the end of the world. When is that going to happen? Because for them, the end of the temple, the end of the world were really linked together. Those things were inseparable in their mind. So when Jesus says the temple is going to be over, they begin to think about the end of the world as well. And in the passage we're going to look at, Jesus speaks to both of these things because they are connected and they are linked. And so even as we look at this passage, we kind of have to have double vision a little bit. 
Uh, one commentator said it's kind of like having bifocals, that you're looking at what's there and what's far away because they're kind of linked together. The temple ending that Jesus will talk about is like or is a type or is a sign or is, if you will, a down payment or shadowing of the end that is going to come. So they're linked together. The end of the temple and the end of the world are linked and Jesus kind of goes back and forth to talk about both of them. And much of what Jesus says has to do with 70 AD when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. This is a historical fact, whether you're a Christian or not. This is just history. 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome. And much of what Jesus says is about that. But the end, capital E, is always in the background of this type, the temple and the end of the world. And since both of those are included, the temple ending, the immediate end, and the ultimate end, we're able to gather principles for ourselves and learn how, in the middle of our chaos, Jesus speaks. So let's begin looking at the pattern of chaos, the pattern of chaos. By that, what I mean is what was going to happen that Jesus talks about, what is going to happen, and really just the pattern that we see. And Jesus is going to kind of move in three stages, talking about what happens before the temple is destroyed, just the normal pattern of life, and what is going to happen when the temple is destroyed, and then finally what happens at the end, in the ultimate chaos when Jesus returns. Let's look at kind of these three movements of just describing the pattern of chaos. So here's what happens before the end of the world. Here's what happens before the end of the temple. Here's what Jesus says. Then he said, because they ask, when's this all going to happen? When's the temple going to get destroyed? Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, it's necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. Then he told them, nation will be raised up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places. And there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time, for I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, gain your lives. This gives us the pattern of chaos before. Now, this is really interesting because here's what Jesus says. He says, before the end of the world, there's a bunch of stuff that's going to happen that is not the end of the world. These, this is just the normal stuff that's going to happen before Jerusalem is destroyed. And really, this is just the normal pattern of life of stuff that's going to happen. There's going to be people that come and say, I come in the name of Jesus. 
that are false teachers. This has happened in, Jesus is talking about this is going to happen before the temple is destroyed, but the reason it's going to happen before the temple is destroyed is because this is just the normal pattern of life that always is. Before the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, after Jesus left, there were many people. Again, you can look this up. There's many people that came saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one. And they were killed and they were defeated. And since the temple was destroyed, that normal pattern continues. There have been many people that say, either I come in the name of Jesus or I am Jesus. That happens all the time. It has happened in my lifetime. I remember I was a, I was a kid, but David Koresh in Waco, Texas, and there was Jim Jones that happened before him, and there's a guy even right now that has like a million followers that says he is Jesus incarnate. There's all sorts of people that continue to do this, and it was true before the end of the temple, and it's true now, and Jesus is saying, this is what's just always going to happen. Don't think the end is near when this happens. This is just the normal pattern of life. This is what is always going to happen. There is always going to be people that try to deceive us and say they come in the name of Jesus. Jesus says there's going to be people saying the end is near. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, if people say the end is near, don't listen to them. The end is not near. And yet, There's several people that have signs saying the end is near, and Jesus specifically says, if you see people saying the end is near, that the end's not near. So there's people saying the end is near. There's people saying they come in the name of Jesus. There's wars. There's natural disasters. There's plagues and famines. A lot of times we look at these things and think, this must be the end. And Jesus right here is saying, all of this stuff happens before. This is just kind of the normal course of life. There has not ever been a moment in history, there's never been a moment in history where there wasn't people claiming to be coming in the name of Jesus, where there wasn't wars, where there wasn't earthquakes, where there wasn't natural disasters, where there wasn't sicknesses. Sometimes people even today look at everything that's happened with COVID and, oh my gosh, this is a worldwide pandemic Yeah, okay, what about the bubonic plague? What about the black death? What about, I mean, these things, this is the normal pattern of history that always happens. What about persecution? Jesus says, yep, that's gonna happen. That's just the norm. What about relatives and people turning on each other and being betrayed and being killed? Yep, that's the normal pattern. Even if you think about right after Jesus leaves, that's exactly everything the disciples went through. The church was persecuted, people were killed, people were dragged off to prison, families were turned against each other. This is the normal pattern, and yet so often, when we look at wars, we look at false teachers, we look at natural disasters, we look at all of these things and can think, Christian legal trouble Jesus even talks about, we look at all of this stuff and go, it's the end. Jesus says, no, this is the pattern of chaos. This is what happens before the end. This is just the normal pattern of chaos. That's the first thing. Oftentimes we associate these things with the end and Jesus says this is the normal pattern of chaos. Listen, I think that that's sad but also encouraging. The reason I say encouraging is because it means that all the things that we often look at and can freak out about Jesus is saying, this is how it's always been and will always be. This is just living in a fallen, broken, sinful world. It happened before the temple was destroyed. It happens after the temple destroyed. This is the life that we live in. This is the pattern 
of chaos. And then he talks about the temple being destroyed. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those inside the city must leave it. And those who are in the country must not enter it. Because these are days of vengeance to fulfill all the things that are written. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will be killed by the sword and be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So in talking about the pattern of chaos... First, he says, here's all the things that are just going to always be happening before the temple is destroyed. Here's what will then just continue happening before the end. Then he talks about Jerusalem itself, the temple being destroyed. And this happened. It happened. And it was awful. It was an awful event. It taught, he says, you know, um, beware to nursing mothers and those that are pregnant. And in the city, the city was attacked by Rome. It was surrounded and people ended up, you can, again, this is just, you can look this up in history. People ended up cooking children and eating their kid because they were starving. It was awful. Historians say probably a million people died and about 100,000 were taken into slavery. The entire city was utterly decimated, completely. It was destroyed. And why? Because it was God's judgment. God's judgment against a city that totally rejected Jesus. And Jesus says, get out when you see that that's going to happen. And again, look this up in history if you question anything I'm saying. The Christians left the city. And by most historical accounts, or I can't, I'm saying most just because I, I can't claim I read every historical account, but by his, historical accounts, Christians, none of this happened to them because they listened to Jesus' words and left the city. And God's judgment came upon the city in rejecting Jesus. And as a sign that this is no longer where I reside. Through Jesus. We don't need a temple anymore. Now we have Jesus. He is God's presence on earth. He is the sacrifice for our sins. We have him. The temple happened. It was destroyed. It was awful. And when we talk about the pattern of chaos, Jesus says, God's judgment comes came on Jerusalem and part of the pattern of chaos, even as we look at the things happening, God's judgment comes. And it came in a specific time in 70 AD. And then the final movement that Jesus talks about is the end, end, capital E. Then, so after the temple, then there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and there will be anguish on the earth among the nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put out leaves, you can see for yourselves and recognize that summer is already near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing, drunkenness, and worries of life, or that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. 
For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. But be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. During the day, this just closes it out, he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening he would go out and spend the night on what is called the Mount of Olives. Then all the people would come early in the morning to hear him in the temple. And this final scene, Jesus says, here's what happens before the destruction of the temple, because this is just the normal course of events. Then he talks about the destruction of the temple and God's judgment. And then he talks about the end when the Son of Man himself, Jesus, returns. And it talks about great signs in the stars and the moon and the sky. And maybe those are actual physical realities that are observed. Many people believe, as often is the case in the Old Testament, that those are just metaphors for national turmoil and things that are happening here on earth. Whatever it is, whether it's literal things that are happening astronomically or whether it is just imagery apocalyptically of chaos that happens on the earth, whatever it is, what happens is there's upheaval that leads to the return of Jesus. And he comes in the middle of chaos. This is one of the things to even know about the pattern of chaos is Jesus returns in the middle of chaos and brings his kingdom. And Jesus talks about the fig tree and he talks about when you see it beginning to bud, you know that summer is near. And what he is saying is the kingdom of God is coming. When you begin to see the budding, you know that finally, fully, all of the promises of God's kingdom, justice, judgment, beauty, restoration, all of the promises are coming as you begin to see these things happen. Jesus says there will be an end when all of God's promises finally and fully break through. And even in the pattern of chaos, what we know is that this is true now and it's not totally true now. So in the middle of our chaos, this is still true as a pattern of what happens in chaos. That God's kingdom always breaks into chaos. And we can experience some of that now, but not fully. One day we will experience it fully. So here is just kind of the the beginning. When we talk about chaos and we talk about what's going on, Jesus lays out these three different stages of here's what's always going to happen. Life is always going to be hard. Life is always going to be chaos. And there's always going to be horrible things happening. And God's judgment came against Jerusalem And God's judgment comes to the chaotic world that we experience. And one day, Jesus will come and fully bring his kingdom. And in the middle of God's king, in the middle of chaos right now, God shows up in our lives and brings his kingdom. We get to experience it in doses now and in full later. This is the pattern of chaos. What is the pathway through all that? What's the pathway through? Chaos, And again, what I mean by this is constantly bouncing back and forth between what is the pathway through chaos right now in our life and what's the pathway through chaos one day eventually if we live to see the time when Jesus returns. What chaos do you see right now? What chaos are you facing right now? Think about that. What chaos are you facing in your life right now? What is the pathway to get through it? What's the pathway to endure in the middle of it? 
This is what Jesus gives us. He gives actually several different commands and actions that he calls us to. And I want to work through these and show you what he says is the pathway through all of this. First thing he says at the very beginning was, watch out that you are not deceived. That's the first thing he calls us to, is to not be deceived. Listen, I don't know who needs to hear this. Maybe some of you really need to hear it. Maybe this is just preparatory for for some of us. But there's always going to be people coming in the name of Jesus. And what Jesus tells us is do not be deceived. There's always going to be teachers claiming that the end is near. The time is near. And Jesus specifically says do not be deceived by them. I don't know how you grew up. I grew up in a church and was always hearing about the end of the world. And I heard predictions about it happening in 1999 and heard predictions about it happening in, I don't remember all the years, but basically every year that there was a teacher saying, the end is near, it's this year, it's happening. Probably most recently that was famous, I don't remember what the year was, but it was a guy named Harold Camping, and he had said, it's coming. And there was billboards, and people sold everything they had and quit their jobs, and it didn't happen. And then he said, I, my calculations were off a little bit and then predicted a new date and it didn't happen. And then he's been silent, I believe, since then. Um, people are always going to come saying the end is near. People always are going to come saying the end is near. And you can take the end is near as the end of the world. But listen, I hear people talking all the time about the end of the church is near. The end of the church is near. The end of Christianity is near. And, there's, and it stokes up people being afraid. It stokes up kind of the, the fires of, oh no. And Jesus is warning us, don't be deceived. People are always going to come in my name. People are always going to be saying, it's over. This is the end. Jesus says, no, it's not. Don't listen to the people that say that. Don't listen to the conspiracy theories and don't listen to it's the end of the world or the end of the church. No, it's not. That's the first thing. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And then he says, don't be scared. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. See, isn't it easy to look around at our world and be afraid? Isn't it easy to look around at, I mean, all the the things that Jesus listed about persecution and legal trouble for Christians and wars and famines and plagues, pandemics and all of being killed and all of this stuff and people claiming stuff and national wars and nation rising up against nation. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear sells. You know that anytime someone is trying to stoke your fear, there's a reason for that. Fear sells. Fear gathers a crowd. Fear gets you likes. Fear gets you points. Fear gets views. It says, don't be scared. Fear is a tool to manipulate people. Fear is a tool to gather people. Fear is a tool. And fear is not what God wants for us. Even though there's chaos, he doesn't say, don't be scared. Everything will be fine. He says, don't be scared. They might kill you. What? Don't be scared. Nation will rise against nation. Don't be scared. That's what Jesus says. There's a lot of chaos. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know if you're afraid for yourself. I don't know if you're afraid for your children. I don't know if you're afraid for your faith. 
I don't know if you're afraid for your city or the world. I don't know what you're afraid of. Jesus says, don't be afraid. That's the second thing in the middle of chaos, the pathway through chaos. And then the third thing that he says is, this will give you an opportunity to bear witness. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness, which, listen, fear stops that. Fear stops us from bearing witness. Because when we are scared, we are focused on ourselves. When we are scared, we are thinking about what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to my home, what's going to happen to my money, what's going to happen to my family, what's going to happen to my neighborhood, what's going to happen to my job, what's going to happen to... When, when we're scared, we're focused on ourselves. And Jesus says, listen, you're going to be put on trial. You're going to be handed over to the religious leaders. You're going to go to prison. You're going to be brought before the government. And guess what? This will give you an opportunity to talk about me. This will give you an opportunity. So don't be scared. Instead, be bold. This will give you an opportunity to speak about me. Every difficulty is an opportunity. And that's true with all sorts of things, but that especially when we're talking about this. Every difficulty that we face in our life is an opportunity to testify about Jesus. Every suffering that you face is an opportunity to show where your real confidence lies. Every, every difficulty that you experience, if you lose your job, if you're, if you're financially struggling, if you get sick, if you lose a loved one, all sorts of things, every difficulty that we face gives us actually opportunity to talk about Jesus. Now, that, I'm just giving you a general principle. Jesus is talking about kind of the, the ultimate extreme where you're brought before trial and have to actually be accused, and he says, don't worry about it gives you an opportunity. Don't look at it as a difficulty. Don't look at it as suffering. Look at it as opportunity. Look at it as opportunity to talk about me. Because Jesus' picture is much bigger for the world. Our picture is often very narrow and it's just us and our fears. And Jesus says, it's an opportunity. How else might he put us in places where we can talk about him? A lot of times it takes difficulty. It takes suffering, and that actually gives us a platform to be able to speak about him. Jesus says the pathway through chaos is to bear witness, to speak about him. And then he says to endure, to endure. By your endurance, gain your lives. And I just want you to think about this whole section where he tells us to endure. You're going to be, think about, and maybe some of you have felt this, Think about the context. You're going to be betrayed by parents. That sounds pretty bad. You're going to be betrayed by brothers. Maybe some of you, have had, you don't have a great relationship with your parents, but you have a great relationship with your siblings or other relatives. I know people that have been raised by their aunts or raised by their grandmas. Say, you know, my, my mom was never there for me. My dad was never there for me. But man, my aunt, my uncle... Betrayed by brothers, relatives. Maybe, maybe family's totally broken, but at least you got your friends. Betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, friends. They will kill you. You will be hated. That sounds pretty bad. And in the middle of that, he says, endure. Endure. Now, what does that mean, to endure? 
Does that just mean that we're taking all of this hate and we're giving it back and we're fighting and we're enduring? We're, they're fighting and we're fighting and we're lasting the distance? No. To endure is to love our enemies. To endure is even in the middle of being betrayed and hated and disowned and even having violence done against us is to love and to forgive and to pray. This is exactly what Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who hate you. This is the word of God. This is the word of Jesus himself that tells us these things. This is what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus had all of this happen to him. And how did he respond? On the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. On the cross, loving. On the cross, forgiving. On the cross, with all power, as they mock him, all power to be able to destroy everybody in a blink of an eye, instead suffers, instead loves his enemies, instead forgives. When he was reviled, he did not revile. It says, when he suffered injustice, he did not retaliate. This is what Jesus calls us to, to endure in the middle of everything that we face relationally. Have you felt some of the relational pain that Jesus describes? Is that a part of your chaos? Whether that's from people that you love or just the world around you. Jesus says, don't react. Expect that. Expect that. And endure through love. Then he tells us, be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing. I know some of you carousers need to hear this. He says, be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled. See, what, what is the real danger? Sometimes we look at the end of the world and we look, at, we look at all the things that Jesus said, this is not the end. We look at wars and persecutions and, and plagues and we look at all of this stuff and think that's the danger. And Jesus says, actually, you know what you really need to be on guard against? You need to be on guard against carousing, drunkenness, and the worries of life. Those are really normal things. You see, what we need to be on guard against isn't paying attention to everything happening in the news and is this the end and what are they doing over here and is there persecution here? And Jesus, the only thing he says to be on guard against is actually stuff that dulls us, stuff that keeps us off of his mission, stuff that keeps our hearts disconnected from him. Be on guard against carousing and drunkenness. I think he specifically calls those out because those are things that carousing is really similar to drunkenness. Those things just numb us. They're escape from reality. And you know this. Some of you abuse alcohol. And I don't mean you're an alcoholic. Maybe some of you are. But some of you abuse alcohol in a way to just totally numb your mind or other substances or Netflix Maybe if this was written in 2021, he would add that in there. Things that just dull our minds, shut us off, just allow us to escape. Or the worries of life. Who doesn't have the worries of life? See, should we freak out about persecution and wars and pandemics? Or maybe 
It's actually paying our bills and getting our kids to school and getting a raise that we really want and doing that home project. And maybe that's the stuff that we're actually supposed to be on guard against. Jesus says, this is what you need to be on guard against. See, the pathway through chaos needs us to be on guard against distraction and discontentment and escape and just pleasure. Art, I don't know what's chaotic in your life right now, or I don't know if you just look at the world and feel the chaos of it. It's part of what you're doing to get through that, being on guard against those things. Or are those the very things that actually define or even feel like they help in the middle of the chaos? And then the final thing he gives us, which is really the key to all of it, through chaos, the pathway through, is to pray. And he kind of talks about that in both of these sections. I put them together, but he says, Stand up and lift your heads, which is to see him because your redemption is near and then what closed out the doling of the mind section, but be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength. See, in the middle of chaos, the pathway through chaos is going to be prayer. So much stuff can fill our minds. If you're experiencing chaos in the world or in your life, so much can fill our minds, right? So much can fill our hearts the worries of life, all of these different things that Jesus talks about. And we might be tired, and we might be tempted, and we might be afraid. So much stuff can weigh us down and cause us to be deceived, scared, self-focused, off track, so much stuff. And what Jesus says is, you want strength? Do you want strength in the middle of chaos? Do you want relief in the middle of chaos? That's usually what we want. We want strength. We want relief. The tendency, the tendency in the middle of our chaos is to focus on the chaos and to see if there's ways that we can fix the chaos. We look at the chaos. Maybe sometimes we're just looking at the news or we're thinking about it in our mind or we're thinking about if only this happened which is if only the chaos would change or we're scared of the chaos, in the middle of chaos, please, please hear me on this, in the middle of chaos, our tendency is to focus on the chaos. Ways to fix it, just looking at it, kind of like a deer in the headlights or squirrel in the headlights. It's just to focus on it, to look at it, to figure out ways to fix it, to hope, maybe even to pray that the chaos changes. Every single thing that Jesus tells us to do here has nothing to do with us changing, managing, handling the chaos. It all has to do internally with ourselves. It all has to do with us not being afraid, us not being deceived, us enduring. Every instruction that Jesus gives, when he talks about the worst that there is to happen, whether that's the destruction of Jerusalem or the end of the world or things that are always going to be happening, every instruction that he gives to us to have endurance, to have strength, to have relief, has nothing to do with us thinking about the chaos. 
thinking about him. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a change in us as we are connected to him. It is focusing not on the chaos, but on Christ. That's what he gives to us. That's what he calls us to. Because, and that's why he ends with prayer, because prayer connects us daily, day in, day out with him. Do you feel chaos at all in your life right now? Or do you see it in the world around us right now? Jesus says, I want to do a change in you. And that happens as we connect to him through prayer. That's where we get, he says, strength. It keeps us alert. It keeps us aware. It keeps us focused on him. It keeps us bearing witness about him. It keeps us, it keeps us not timid and afraid and deceived. It keeps us on him, on Christ, not chaos. That's what we need. That's what Jesus gives to us. And it's this that allows us to be able to stand before him when he comes. It says we will stand before him when he comes. And if our focus has been on chaos all the time and thinking about it and afraid of it and, and distracted by it and, and escaping from it and, and the worries of life, when we stand before him, we might not be ready. But if our focus in the middle of chaos is actually on Christ, then when we stand before him, we're ready. We've been focused on him all along. This is the pathway through chaos. And that's true whatever personal chaos you are going through or the end of the world chaos or if you were transported back in time, the destruction of Jerusalem. Life will have chaos. He wants to get us through it. And he gives us several instructions and says, you're not alone. Here's the path. Finally, what is the power available to us for us? What is the power for us in chaos? What enables us to do this? What enables us to get through the chaos? What enables us to follow the pathway that he has just laid out? What enables us to endure, to be rooted? And he gives us four things that are really beautiful things that help us, whatever chaos you're going through right now or the, the chaos in the world. He says, first, I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Now, he's specifically, again, talking about the disciples standing before religious courts and political courts, which probably most of us have not had to do. But it's a principle that is true in general, that as we're in the middle of chaos, God says, I will give you wisdom. When you're put in hard situations, when you're confused, when you're afraid, he says, it isn't just you. I'm present with you. I am present and I will speak to you and I will give you words to be able to speak. Some of you have had this. Probably all of you have had it. You've been in difficult situations, maybe even about your faith, and God has given you wisdom to be able to speak. You have felt like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to talk about Jesus here. I don't know how I'm going to be able to, even if it's not defending your faith, but just proactively speaking about your faith to, to those that are struggling or hurting 
or disagree with who Jesus is and you've had wisdom. He says, in the middle of chaos, we often feel confused and don't know what to do. And he says, I'll give you wisdom. You're not by yourself. And then he says, I will protect you. And it's an interesting, uh-oh, what happened back there, guys? Uh, okay, well, I'll just go. If you can put it on the protect slide in a moment, that'd be good. Um, then he says, I will protect you. And it's an interesting way to say, I will protect you, because he says this. Some of them will kill you, but not a hair on your head will be harmed. Well, that's interesting. Not exactly the encouraging thing. Look, there it is. He says, not a hair of your head will be lost. Now, that, that's fascinating. You're going to die, but your hair will be okay, right? You're like, oh, well, I'm bald, so I don't know how that's going to do. Not a hair of your head will be lost. That's, this should actually be like Rogaine's life verse. Not a hair of your head will be lost, right? What he's saying is this. I will protect you ultimately, which means the worst that can happen to you is you're killed. That's the worst that can happen. But you know what that can't do? And Paul talks about this in Romans. It can't separate you from God's love, which is the ultimate harm. It can't separate you from God's grace. It can't separate you from God's ultimate security and provision for your life. It can't do that. No matter what happens to you in the middle of your chaos, and there's probably things that you're afraid of. There's probably things that you wonder, is this gonna happen? Is this gonna happen? Is this gonna happen? He says, listen, even if they kill you, you can't ultimately be harmed. You can't ultimately have things taken away from you because if you belong to me, you have an eternal home, you have an eternal joy, you have an eternal provision, an eternal family, you have eternal love and grace and security. You've got everything and death is gain, ultimately, as Paul says. To live as Christ and to die is gain. See, if we don't have this perspective, then what happens is, as a Christian, we freak out when things are bad and think things are supposed to be good. And Jesus and Paul and the rest of the Bible actually say a lot of bad stuff might happen to you. But ultimately, not a hair of your head will be lost. Ultimately, you can't be separated from that which is eternal, his love, his grace, forever. But if we forget that, it's easy to get bitter when bad things are happening. It's easy to get anxious that they will. It's easy to just kind of get angry or sad and just kind of freak out at the bad that comes. Jesus says, I will protect you. Whether that's now or forever, I will protect you. And then he says this. I love this. He says, I'm in control. Look at I just put them on here. He talks about it is necessary that these things take place. These are days of vengeance to fulfill all the things that are written until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And the whole context of the passage and even just Jesus prophesying what's going to happen says this. I'm in control. The things that are happening are not an accident. The things that are happening don't catch God by surprise. They are things that are fulfilled, meaning that he has planned they are things that are necessary, which means he says, I am doing something here. 
it might seem crazy. It might seem like chaos, but I am in control. That is something that you and I need to know so desperately because we look around and when you look at chaos, it feels like, are you asleep? And he says, this is to fulfill. This is necessary. I am in control. He is in control. None of it surprises him. He is at work. And as we know in other parts of the Bible, he's not just at work doing his sort of weird master plan. He's at work for us. He's at work for our good, even when and where it doesn't feel like it. And the final piece that he says is, I will redeem. Your redemption is near, and later the kingdom of God is near. Now here's what this means, and it's a beautiful truth that we need as the power to help us walk through chaos. How it is now is not always how it will be. How it is now is not how it, always how it's going to be. God will bring his kingdom. God will redeem. And listen, you and I want that to happen here, right? We want God to redeem anything that's been broken here, whether that's relationships or financial situation or our lives where we've made mistakes and broken things. We want him to redeem now. We want the kingdom of God to come now. And he does. We get that in glimpses at times. But the ultimate hope is that he says this, I will redeem. So whatever brokenness you face now and whatever hurt, and whatever loss and whatever pain, he says, I will redeem. It will happen. The kingdom will come. Summer will come. Beauty will come. Hope will come. Justice will come. Reconciliation will come. Restoration will come. Healing will come. It will come. I will redeem. Which gives us hope in the middle of chaos right now. Because the hardest things that we face right now, we can know this isn't the end. He will redeem. This will take place. All evil will be ended. The chaos will be over. It will happen. This is the power we need in chaos. See, there's a path to walk through chaos. There's a path of not being deceived and not being scared and being able to proclaim and witness and being able to endure and love even the enemies that we have and guarding against and praying. There's, there is a pattern he gives us, but the power to be able to do that is to remember, I'm wise, I'll protect you, I'm in control, and I will redeem. We need those words, which is why Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. That's what we need to stand on. It's his words. He gives to us his words and says, as you're feeling chaos, stand on my words. Everything else might go away. Heaven and earth might go away. What I speak to you right now will never go away. And so when you're in chaos and it feels shaky and it feels confusing and it feels, I don't know what to do, and it feels scary, he says, there's a place that you can stand on my words. There's a solid foundation from which you can survive whatever chaos is coming through you. There's a place that you can stand and it's not on things going well and it's not on your ability. It is on my words, the words that I speak to you. 
You can stand there. And when you stand there with a focus not on chaos, but on Christ, that's the power to get through chaos. We live in chaos. It's hard. It was hard then. It'll be hard in the future. And it's hard now in whatever individual chaos or world chaos we experience. And we want to endure. We want to endure. We want to have joy and peace and and steadfastness. And Jesus says, here's how. Draw near to me. Stand in my words. Plant yourself in me. We're going to take communion. When we take communion as Christians, communion is a way that we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us and that the worst chaos imaginable, Jesus walked into it. Jesus walked into spiritual, physical, emotional, even natural world chaos as there was earthquakes and the sky gone black. Jesus walked into the worst chaos imaginable for you and I. He walked into the worst chaos imaginable to save us, to make us his own, to redeem us as his people, to forgive us of our sins, to die in our place, And to bring us life so that even in the middle of whatever chaos that we go through, we're able to stand in his word and trust the one that went through chaos for us. So as you take communion and pray, I want you to just reflect on these words of Jesus and think about where do I need, where do I need to act? What do I need to remember about him? What what, what of these truths of even the wisdom and protection and control, what do I need to remember and stand on? Where is it that I need to either not be deceived or not be scared or testify about him or, or the ways that he gives us as a path through chaos? You can endure. You can. We can. And we can as we stand in his word. So take some time and pray. And I'll be in the back if anyone would like prayer for healing or for anything else going on in their life. And one thing I want you to encourage you to do as you pray is this. Tell God what your chaos is that you're going through or what chaos in the world that you're afraid of or feel. And then I want you just to out loud, but you know, under your breath, kind of quietly, to just say, rehearse those truths. Say, You will give me wisdom. You will protect me. You are in control. And you will redeem. Just tell them what the chaos is and then just say those things. If you don't remember all of them, that's okay. Say the ones you remember. Father, I thank you that you speak into chaos. We don't just face chaos and have to Freak out. You speak into chaos. You speak into the chaos of our world. You speak into the chaos of our lives. You speak. And we can stand on your word and what you tell us. And so I pray even just in these moments as we take communion and pray and sing in response that you would allow our focus to be off of the chaos and onto you, Christ. Root us more deeply in you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.